Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are so excited to bring you, for the second time on Bitch Talk, uh, director of the film French Exit, Azazel Jacobs. It's so nice to see you again. Welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah, I can't believe it's been four years, four years ago that we were crying together about life. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we still have plenty to cry about. <laughs> Things oh, haven't changed. <laughs> we have even more. Who would have thought? Yeah. 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 Who would have thought that was a simpler about. time? Yeah. Yeah. That was oh. yeah, simpler times. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, let's start with this amazing film. Can you tell our audience what French Exit is about? Oof, wow. What a hard thing to say. I, I mean, I could say like. French Exit is a, a woman named Frances Price who has a son, Malcolm Price. Uh, they both come from this old blue blood uh, wealth that suddenly runs out and they are left heading to Paris trying to figure out what to do with the rest of their lives. But hopefully it's even more than that. That's the, uh, you know, that's the Yeah. Thing. Well, uh, this film, I loved it. It's uh, very character driven, right? Um, so I would just love to hear about your casting process, not only of your leads, obviously Michelle Pfeiffer and Lucas Hedges are incredible, but even the, the their motley crew of friends that they just collect along the way. Yeah, and the extras. I mean, really for me, this is what I look at every part from the smallest to the biggest and I marvel at them. And it has so much to do with working with great casting directors, both uh, over here, Nicola Busto I've been working with for a long, long time and uh, another woman named Lucille Robital in Montreal. But, you know, one of, the, one of the great things, I guess, since these four years, I must have read French Exit maybe a year or so after we all last spoke. And so I've had three years to work on this film. I had a lot of time to prepare on this and focus on every kind of detail that I possibly could. And a lot of that went into just figuring out the family and looking at the casting as a family going, yeah, so Michelle Pfeiffer at the top and then Michelle and then Lucas Hedges, her son, but then thinking, okay, so how do we balance out not only Malcolm's character, but also Francis's character, which leads you to Imogen Poots playing Susan and then vice versa. Like who is this, this best friend? of Francis Price that could be part of her world, but also in some ways the most grounded of all the characters, which led me to, you know, casting Susan Coyne for Joan and then Isaac Debuncle. Um, he's actually, who plays the detective, Julius. He probably was the only face when I read the book, thinking like, oh, that detective, I want him to be my detective. And it's probably just from seeing the films that he had done and. Mm -hmm that it's not so far away from, let's say, Limits of Control or something that he's, they play these kind of detective-y roles. But um, it, it really was looking at the casting completely as a family and how do they balance and, uh, and contrast each other and complement each other, very much like all the tones that I get to play with in this film. 
Yeah. And the writer of this, the script, you've been friends with Patrick for 20 years. Yeah. And I love that story. And this isn't the first time you've worked together on a film, but can you talk about the journey with him on this? It was a, I mean, so Tara, yeah. So Patrick and I worked uh, and been very close for, as you said, for so many years. And in that time, we both kind of uh, fallen into our past as, as artists and we've, always been sharing each other's work at pretty close to finished stages but at places where we could still hear input and want to get not only encouragement but also potential issues or any any kind of feedback and so French Exit was sent to me Pat sent it to me in an email and I remember really well printing it out and sitting in a park and it was for the most part done it was probably missing a couple chapters that hadn't been edited yet so it definitely was a bit longer and has all the kind of things that an unedited manuscript has but from I think the first page in I just got so excited to go to this world that I did not know but still found so funny and so moving and so strange that the moment I finished it which was really in that one sitting I called him up afterwards and said hey not only do I love the book but I'd love to turn this into a film. Would you be up for that? And that conversation of turning it into a film began right then and there, uh, even before the book was finished. Yeah, I, I want to get into the cat. There's a cat that plays yes. a very yes. crucial Small role Frank. in this film. <laughs> Small Frank. Um, so from our prior interview with you, we know that you're a dog lover, as are we. So I want to know, uh, were you a cat lover prior to this film? And are you a cat lover after having to work with one? I, I just, I want to know. <laughs> well, about this is going to lead to more tears. But yeah, my, oh, no. our 19 year old oh, cat no. passed away not, not that long ago. So, oh, so, are yeah. we bad no. luck? What is happening? Yeah, no, is it us? I feel just, like I have a cloud. No, I think it's good luck. We have such a, um, oh, we have such a, Oh, these animals, they give us everything. So, you know, reading reading a book where a, a cat has a spirit and a soul, like anybody that has a cat knows like, oh yeah, this is not, this is not shocking news, which is one of the great fun thing when the, for me, you know, people have had this response. They're like, why aren't they more shocked when they connect and they find out that there's a spirit inside the cat? I'm like, do you not have a cat? Is this like, this is not, <laughs> this is not surprising news. Like, I think our cats are speaking to us all the time, you know, like that's the reality. So um, I like taking it as a shrug because that's my experience with these kind of otherworldly beings that we get lucky enough to cohabit our, our lives and our places with. Yeah. But yeah. And at the same time, reading the book and, uh, and going, oh, wow, how are we going to get a cat to do this? Um, <laughs> was something that I immediately put out of my mind. And then Michelle Pfeiffer tells me that that was her second question to me, really was like, maybe she had a, the first question was just what my, my, how my attraction to the story is. But the second question she says and was, so how are you going to do this with this cat? And I had no answer. And I, <laughs> she says that I looked suddenly very scared. And I, I, you know, the reality is I just, I just didn't even know how to begin to approach it. Um, but I, it turns out that 
yes, there turns out to be not only uh, amazing cat trainers, but cats that really can listen and take direction. And uh, we wound up mostly shooting with two cats, but one main cat named Spartacus. And, uh, you know, we learned we learned our lesson the first day because we try to treat that cat like a dog. You know, we try to get the cat just like, all right, you got 15 minutes. Make the cat go up the stairs. <laughs> and, uh, and that turns out that it doesn't work, you know, which a dog would just do it. Um, and then we found out that, oh, actually, if we all step away, leave the cat uh, trainer and the cat alone, all of us for a good hour, then that's going to wind up buying us all the time ahead and just let the cat become comfortable with the space. And then suddenly things started to flow. And then once we understood that, the cat just became incredibly incredibly comfortable around this big crew until there's so many shots in there that i was pretty sure that we we're gonna have to use we had a, a, a life-alike looking doll made that i was <laughs> positive that we were gonna have to use but when it came down to shooting the cat trainer uh, lucy would say well let me give this a try and see if we can do it and that happened 99 of those kind of shots i thought we're going to have to be kind of some kind of CGI something wound up being the actual cat. I so love small. No frames. one can tell me, no one can tell me that cats <laughs> don't have a grown mature spirits when they take directions that well. Right. Maybe they were cats with the spirit of a dog in them, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's Just interesting. That's the next level. <laughs> I like to think that they, it was Tracy Letts, but yeah, sure. It was, it, yes. <laughs> or it was um, Tracy Letts. You know, I watching the film, um, is it, it felt purposeful that sometimes you don't know what decade you're in um, within the story. Uh, you know, at some points you're like, oh, okay, it's now. But then when they were on the cruise ship, I'm like, oh, well, that feels like the forties or something. So can you, yeah. can you talk about that, that time, yeah. the time change? Well, look, I don't know if there's ever, ever a timely period to tell films about, you know, with wealthy people on there. Mm. And so I think the minute that I knew that this is a story that has a wealthy character and that's look at, looked at in a human way was, okay, this is, this seems really out of time, but there was this ability to have something very timeless um, because of her coming from such old money and such a different world that I felt like, okay, suddenly, you know, one of the, the struggles I think every storyteller has right now is how do we get to do this without cutting to texting and to mm -hmm. self and to computer screens, the most boring <laughs> storytelling ever. And a lot of times like that would make most sense. Like, why aren't they just texting each other and finding out where they are? But because we're dealing with such kind of a different type of world, I was able to embrace thinking, okay, when you're that wealthy, you don't really have to share time with people. You don't have a cell phone. There's nothing, you don't have to answer to any of this. You live in your own made up world. And that allowed me to go into this completely made up world that I was just drawing from things that I loved and liked. So everything is cobbled together. You know, the, 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 we didn't actually shoot on a ship we built parts of it. We shot in different things and we just kind of created the ship the way that I wanted. I mean, who takes a ship across 
you know, the Atlantic, except somebody that's living in another time anyway. And so mm. the story itself was inherent, like it lent itself to just come creating something that was of its own time. And the, all the conversations I had with not only the, the actors, but all the crew, everybody that worked on it was how do we make something timeless? How do we mix and match things so that it can exist at really any time? Yeah, that sounds so fun. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, um, was getting real like Wes Anderson vibes from from the movie, and he has you know Bill Murray that he puts in everything. You have Tracy Letts that you have in this film. Were you tempted to invite Deborah Winger back? Too? Right, because I I'm willing to see her in everything you make as well. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I'm always the, the things about making films um, with these incredible actors is you get to. You, you do have them in whatever project you do next. You are carrying things with them. They are inside of just your work from that point on. You know, they just, you just, there's, it's the way that you approach any material has been shaped from the previous film and the previous film and the previous film. So for me, it's a continuation. I see the spirits of the lovers and the film, you know, from Terry and Mama's Man. I see how it's, for me, it's it's a continuation of one story in a lot of ways. And you shot in Paris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, how and you just, I mean, I was sitting here. I'm like, oh, when can I go back to Paris? I don't even know when that's going to be. So well, thank you for that, though. I, of course. Was beautiful. I mean, that, was, that was, look, I wanted to escape before making film. And that was a big, exciting part of making this film was like, oh, I get to escape everything i get to escape my life i get to escape my town i get to escape and go into these places to shoot and now a year later I, i've been so thankful to have this place to escape too so in the edit room just to have that while this kind of un unimaginable tragedy was unfolding every day both uh politically and um in every aspect of society, um, I was hiding my head a lot of times in the sand in the edit room and finding this place to escape to. And then I could reemerge. And I felt like it was very, very useful and healthy, uh, at least for me. And it's definitely one of the things that I'm really hoping that audience will get, if anything, just this ability to escape for a couple hours and go to these places and go to these places pre-pandemic where everybody's just out on the streets having, you know, coffee in the cafes and mm -hmm. just living this life with before this was even an inkling of a thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we, you know, I have, I have to say we, we interview so many directors, filmmakers, creatives across the board, but the, the first time we interviewed you really stood out because you, you just have this really calming, um, insightful presence. Maybe that's why you make us cry every time we see you. Um, but I, I want to know, do you carry that on to set? It just, you, you have just such a calming presence. I, I can't imagine you like yelling at, at people from across the room. It's really, no, it's really nice to hear. I would say, I look, I obviously can be as, I'm sure as unbearable uh, as the next person and get 
you know, there was so many times where I had sleepless nights just because of just, there's so many elements, especially with this film, putting them together that was so stressful. But at the base of it, it's like, I'm doing what I love, you know? I love, I love making films and that never leaves me. That never, that, that privilege and that just, that I'm, I'm going to these worlds. It just, it's, it always feels like I'm getting away with the impossible. I always am ready for somebody to take away my filmmaking uh, card, mm. you know, where you just feel like, is this my last chance that I get to enjoy something so much? So if anything, I hope that that's what I bring on to set is that while it doesn't mean that it's a party while we're shooting, it's being at least uh, coming from me, I, I'm, I care and I love what I'm doing. And it, that seems to help me find other people that feel really similar about making films it's from, from in, in every, in every crew role to, to every cast role. I mean, I just felt very, very connected by the time we wrapped of, uh, with every person that made this film. And I see them all in this film. Mm-hmm. So what is it like promoting a film during the pandemic? Sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I want, this is a film that's made for an audience and I haven't sat in a theater with the people, with people yet. And I, I'm not vaccinated yet, so I'm not going to go um, until I am, but I have yet to experience what this, this is, this film was made for a group of people ultimately to escape and I want to, and to feel each other and to connect with each other. That's one of the things that turns out that I really miss and love about film. If anything, this year has taught me about what I, one of the things I love about films, it turns out that sitting in a theater is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And also that I haven't been able to be with Michelle and Lucas. Like we're all so proud of this film and we haven't had that ability to be all in a room together and to feel what it feels like to show the film. Um, obviously it sucks and it's, it's nothing compared to what most people and have experienced. So the fact that I was able to make this film and get it out, I'm thankful for that. I'm really thankful that, uh, that suddenly there seems to be, and it seems like things are changing in terms of people being able to go to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, there, there's so many surprises making films. It's been now so many years. I think uh, I'm 48 now, so it's been 30 years, really. And every part of it has been kind of completely unpredictable. So there's a part of this that you just go with it. And that's, that's, all, that's all you can do. You just go with it and you go, okay, this is how it goes. And I'll find out what this experience is and it'll form the next experience. Yeah. But the the one thing that I can say is that I I believe that this film has something really alive in it. And I have a lot of faith that it's going to find its way to the right people, uh, whether that's tomorrow or, you know, whenever I just, I know what type of film it is. It's my type of movie. And those films, they just take, you know, sometimes they just take a while and you find them and you're like, 
oh my God, how did this exist? Like that's what, <laughs> that's, that's the stuff, that's the art that inspires me. And I think that's what I believe we've made here. Yeah, I, I have no doubt you're you're creating your cult following, uh, mm-hmm. and um, and I hope that happens for you that, that everyone gets to see it on a big screen with you at some um, point. You know, the vaccinations are rolling out faster than we thought they would. So I know my folks have gone passed. vaccinated, so that's incredible. Good. And um, yeah, and then friends are starting too. So I know it's all like happening. And the the film is supposed to premiere in Berlin in June. They're part of their festival. Yeah, like screenings in June. So. I'm I'm feeling pretty confident that I'll be all set by then and that I can sit in the big theater and hopefully maybe even before then get to come to go to a theater here. Yeah. Well, we hope the next time we see you is in person. That's for sure. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. It will for... be. Let's let's just think that uh but really thank you for your time and your your the conversation. It's it's so it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah it, it's been our pleasure. Again, we've been speaking to the director of French Exit, Azazel Jacobs. Take care. Take care. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.